a teenage boy had just passed his driving test and he said to his dad, Dad, can I uh, drive the car a bit more often, please? His dad said, well, I'll make a deal with you. If you can bring your grades up in school from a C to a B, and if you start reading your Bible uh, regularly, and uh, if you have your hair cut, I'll let you uh, drive the car more often. So after a while, the boy came to his dad and said, Dad, I've, I've done what you said. I, uh, I brought my grades up to a B, as you know. You notice I've been reading my Bible every day. He said, but I haven't had my haircut yet. He said, because as I've been reading my Bible, I've discovered that uh, Samson had long hair. He said, John the Baptist had long hair. And if it's to believe, Jesus had long hair as well. His dad said to him, and did you notice that they walked everywhere they went? <laughs> John the Baptist. What a, a remarkable man he was. He was fierce though, wasn't he? Have you ever been called a brood of vipers? Anyone had a preacher here point to you and say, you brood of vipers? <laughs> you wicked lot? <laughs> I mean, that uh, was his direct approach. But he was God's man to introduce God's only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He pointed to Jesus, and that's what every preacher should do. It was uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, no less, that said, if Socrates entered the room, we would rise and do him honor. But if Jesus Christ came into the room, we should fall down on our knees and worship him. We would all agree with that, I'm sure. It was John's task to point to Jesus, to prepare the way for the Messiah. He rebuked sin, and so it should be rebuked, for it's a shame. In the church of Jesus Christ, there's still too much sin, and Christians need to be called to repentance constantly. We need to come, and what a lovely symbol that was. We need to constantly come. We get baptized once in water, but we need constantly to come and be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. <laughs> we need to come. And so today, the message that I bring is the same message that John the Baptist brought. Repent, turn from those things that you know to be wrong and let the Lord Jesus cleanse you and renew you in your faith. But I want us to ask a few questions about this passage. When he came, uh, uh, did you notice all the people that were mentioned in those opening verses? Tiberius Caesar, Pilate, and then how the kingdom was divided, a tetrarch is a quarter of a kingdom how the kingdom at that time was divided into four quarters and the names of each of the people that ruled. And then we're told Ananias and Caphias uh, came. The, the two high priests. Why are these things... Dr. Luke was a historian. Why did he mention these things at the same time of introducing them? He wanted to prove the historicity. He wanted to show that John the Baptist... 
In fact, Jesus lived at such a time. He's not, the children are not here, are they? It's not a Santa Claus figure. It's not a, a myth. He is a real person. And I apologize if you still believe in, in Father Christmas. I, I mean, I still do, and it's been known for me to dress up as him as well. But no, he lived at a certain time. And you know, I, I, I've got a, a few scriptures that's going to appear on the screen now to uh, show you how important time is in the purposes of God. In Galatians 4, verse 4, for instance, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under a law. You see, Jesus came at God's timing, at just the right time, Jesus Christ came into the world. And then John 2, verse 4, when the wedding of Cana in Galilee, when uh, Mary came to Jesus and said, we've run out of wine. Apparently, the reason she was so concerned is that she was responsible for the catering. Can you imagine the egg that she had on her face? But she came to Jesus and Notice what Jesus said. Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. You see, Jesus was working according to God the Father's sovereign timetable. And then in John 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover as he was approaching the cross. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own, they were in the world. Now he showed them the full extent of his love. You see, God's got a, a perfect timing. And uh, I mentioned this, I, want, I felt in preparation, I needed to emphasize this because I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that God drags his feet when it comes to me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We want God, we're, we're praying for something. You might be praying for someone to be saved and you've been praying a long time and still haven't been saved or you've been you've unwell and you're praying to get well and you're not any better after a while. And you say, God, come on. <laughs> I'm in a rush. But God is never late. God is always on time. I want to encourage you this morning. Put your trust in God's providence. You know, the Puritans used to say, the providence of God means that God deals personally with each one of us. He's got a personal plan and a timetable for each of us. So don't feel that God is dragging his feet. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes, of course, wish God would slow down when God starts working your life. and oh, I, I, We can't keep up with him, can we? But God is always on time. So that was the importance of seeing all of those people mentioned in these opening verses. It happened at a particular time in history when God decided that he should intervene in the world. That's when he came. But how did he arrive? That's the second question I want to answer this morning. In verse 3 we read, He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins resembling, as we've been told by Laura this morning, the prophet Elijah in manner and dress, John came to the river Jordan preaching 
and baptizing. He announced the arrival of the kingdom of heaven and urged the people to repent centuries before Israel had crossed the River Jordan. A picture of the whole nation being baptized. Now he called individuals to come, to go through that same river as a picture of turning from the past and turning to God's plan and purpose for our future. But you know, although he called them a brood of vipers, and it, it might seem very negative, pointing out their particular sins, the word that Luke uses here when he says he preached is the word eulangalion. And it means good news, simply that. Good news. He preached good news. You see, to appreciate the good news, we've got to appreciate the bad news. It's not until we realize that we are sinners that we actually appreciate the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save It's only good news if you realize that you're the sinner for whom Jesus came. I could have come and washed my hands this morning. Couldn't we have all come? Because sin is all. We don't all sin alike, but all alike of sin. And we need a Savior. And the good news is that Jesus is the Savior. One aspect of the story that hasn't been told this morning, I'm disappointed. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's why he came, to take away our sin. And uh, I was a bit concerned about seeing a river running through the chapel this morning. I thought you had enough water up in Pontypridd. <laughs> and I am praying constantly for the families that have been made homeless. I know you're working alongside them and Thank God for it. But you know, baptism is God's idea. And here's a fact. Every believer in the New Testament was baptized by water. And so if you haven't been baptized as a believer, I want to ask you why. You're here professing to be a Christian then turn from your sin and be baptized. You see, if you are not baptized and you claim to be a believer, you're a disobedient believer. (laughs) And the most important characteristic of the Christian life is obedience. It's as we obey God's word, we grow in grace and in faith. So we're hearing what John said. (laughs) Are you hearing what Jesus said? Are you hearing what the scripture says? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. But, in verse 16, John said, I baptize you with water. And here's the burden of my message this morning. But one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals are not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now I probably have told you before. I'm an old man so you must bear with me if I'm telling you something for a second time. 
When I was converted at the age of 11, I was baptized at the age of 12, and oh, I was so thrilled. I remember it like yesterday. Although it was 64 years ago, I, re- I was so thrilled. And shortly after I'd been baptized in water, I was taken by my dad to the Heath Evangelical Church to hear Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preach. And what a privilege it was. He preached for an hour and ten minutes. You're getting away lightly this morning. He preached for an hour and ten minutes on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You might have been there, Alan. (laughs) I don't remember everything he said, though I've listened to the tape since. And he burst my bubble as looking down from that pulpit in the Heath Church, he looked down and he said, in that solemn voice that he had, it's not enough to be saved. Can you imagine that bursting my bubble? I'd just been saved. My sins were forgiven. I was a child of God. It's not enough, he said. You must be baptized. I said, oh, I have been. Ah, you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then for an hour and ten minutes, he explained what he meant by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you this. When you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that that is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The point of initiation when we are baptized into Christ, we become part of the body of Christ. But others, like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, believed that there was something more. Pentecostals believe in a second blessing. He wouldn't call it that. But he believed that there was more. And I don't want to cause division here over the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I want to tell you there is more. In the New Testament, Virtually in every page we read that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, they were filled. Acts chapter 4, they were filled. Acts chapter 6, they were filled. They kept on being filled. I want to tell you, no matter how long you've been a Christian, there is more, more of God's Spirit. Do you know what it is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? To be so immersed in Him that you know. I want to tell you, that whether it's the initial experience or the subsequent experience, it's a definite experience. You know when you are filled. I was a minister at Bethel Docks when I first became aware of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I was alone and God lifted me out of a chair with such a a sense of the divine, filled that room. I was on my knees and I started speaking in another tongue. Speaking in tongues. Sometimes the evidence, but not always the evidence of the baptism or the fullness of the Spirit, but available to all. Oh, I can't preach on John the Baptist this morning without encouraging you not only to repent, to turn from your sin, to be baptized by water, but also to go on and to seek more of God. To know what it is to be filled to overflowing 
with the Spirit of God. Are you? Are you today filled? You see, my parents had a, a neighbor. And every time he saw me coming, knowing I was a minister, he would, oh, he said, I want to tell you, he said, a member of the city temple he was, you see. I want to tell you about the time I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was talking about 60 years ago, yeah. And after a while, you know, listening to his story, it was wonderful. I said to him, but are you filled now? Oh, he said, I, I don't know about that, he said. But I know it was. <laughs> oh, it's not about yesterday. It's about today. You need to repent. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to make sure you're baptized in water and you need to make sure that today you are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is more. Oh, may God give us a holy discontentment until we know that we are filled, saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's how he arrived, preaching good news of repentance, forgiveness, baptism in water and the Spirit. But why did he arrive? Well, verses 4 to 20 told us. It's clear he came to make Jesus known as the Messiah. Simply that. To begin with, we're told in verse 4 that he was a voice crying in the desert. He was like a herald. That's what he was. That's what preachers are. But in the old days, in the days in which the New Testament was written, a herald was someone that would run ahead of the, the coming monarch, announcing the coming of the king, the coming of the monarch. And they would run, clear the roads, the herald would cry. The monarch is coming. The emperor is coming. That's what he did. And that's why he challenged the religious people of his day with their sins because they were cluttering up the road. How could people find the way to the king if the road was cluttered with sinners as they were? And it was sin in the church, you know. I emphasized when I was reading it that there were two high priests. Remember their names? Annas and Caiaphas. Well, what's wrong with that? There was only ever one high priest. The first was Aaron. And when he died, his son became the high priest. There should have only ever been one. But such was the corruption that had crept into the church of the day of Jesus. There were two. Oh, they were so proud of keeping the law. But they did what they liked with it something very solemn in the message that he preached. I don't know. He's likened to a farmer in verses 8 and 9 when he says that uh, I'm calling you to repentance but you need to produce fruit to show. Your life should demonstrate fruit. And because you are not demonstrating the fruit of repentance there's a terrible verse there an axe is already laid at the root of the tree. 
Have you got the picture? It's graphic, isn't it? And John the Baptist is saying, this religion of yours that has become the Jewish religion, so corrupt, is going to be chopped down. And something better is going to come. Christianity surpasses Judaism in everything. Oh, we still believe in the moral law, the Ten Commandments, but we believe that we must produce fruits. And so one of the important things about being filled with the Spirit is what we've heard already about producing the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are what? Love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness. Self-control, nine glorious fruits. And you can't take your pick. You may desire what gifts you want, but the fruits you have to demonstrate them all. Produce fruits, he said. And if we don't, then the axe is already laid at the root. Uh, That's not saying once saved that you can be lost. No, 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 no. But I tell you what, churches that were once very fruitful have been closed down because they haven't kept true to the word and the axe has been laid to the root of many a ministry and many a church. We need to test our ways to see if they are of the truth. John pictured the self-righteous sinners as snakes that slithered out of grass because a fire was coming. And Jesus compared the Pharisees to these vipers because of their self-righteousness and their unbelief. He called them out for what they were and called them to repentance. Oh, a lot of Pharisees. You know, I, I was in a church about six months ago and I said, you know, if anyone wants prayer at the end... Uh, I won't go to the back. I had a witness. I just needed to sit on the front seat. And I said, I'll sit there. And a man came and sat alongside me. And I wasn't preaching on this. Can't remember when I last preached on John the Baptist. Glad of the opportunity. This man said, you know, John, I want to make a confession. He said, I'm a Pharisee. I make, make my wife's life a misery. Because I'm just like the Pharisees of old. I'm nitpicking over tiny things when I'm swallowing a camel myself. I mean, do you get the picture? There are Pharisees in the church today. And we need to repent. Christians too need to repent. And then finally, John the Baptist was called a teacher. In verse 12, the tax collectors came and called him teacher. He not only preached, you see, he, he taught. He taught the tax collectors And what he had to say to them was, listen, I know what you're doing. Like Zacchaeus, fleecing the people. Not only taking what they should, but taking over and above. He said, stop it. And the soldiers, who could be bullied because of the uniform. We know some policemen like that. I've got two sons who are policemen myself. Put on your uniform. Have you seen park keepers? They think they're Hitler sometimes, don't they? I mean, I was terrified by the park keeper in Rose Park when I was a kid, just because we liked making dens, you know? That's what we called him. <laughs> and he said to these soldiers, 
Don't use your position to throw your weight about. He taught people how to live. Of course, he introduced Jesus who gave us the Sermon on the Mount, which is the ultimate. It is his manifesto for the way in which Christians should live. To be salt and light. Remember what I said about that when I was preaching that year. Simply, it means we are to be radically different from non-Christians. And the challenge is, by word and by spirit, are we different from our non-Christian neighbours? Shame on us, we're not different enough. But the challenge we face is this. Have we recognised Jesus to be the Messiah that John introduced us to? And are we now the willing messengers to announce that the king is coming again? Oh, I still, I know I've told you this. I still, every night, before I go to bed, I look into the clouds, and there's been lots of them lately, and I say, Lord, is it tonight that you're coming? And this morning, as I pulled the curtains back when I was dressed, I looked up at the clouds and I said, Maranatha, even so, come Lord. We're going to live in the expectation that Jesus is coming again soon. But if he's coming, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And oh, I am concerned for those who are unsaved. We need to be making the good news. We are to be the messengers of the 21st, making known the good news. Jesus saves, only Jesus saves. And if there's anyone here this morning, I missed your prayer this morning. Oh, even this morning, Lord, that one might be saved. I want more. But is there anyone here this morning that isn't saved? Today, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Messengers we are, announcing the coming king. But to do that effectively, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if there's something I want you to remember this morning as you leave, is that there's more. God's got more of himself, more of his spirit to give, more fruit to be produced in you, more gifts to be desired by you. Oh, be filled with the Spirit.